I've been in a series, as all of us know, on why God ordained the family. The last two weeks I spoke on, will the circle be unbroken? I'm going back to the same text, but I'm going to go a little different direction today. And I want to caution you, and this is not said with any feeling of arrogance or uh, antagonism. I'm going to speak rather frankly about matters that have to do with sexuality today. And that means that if you have small children in the building, you might want to get them to the children's wing. Great Sunday schools and chapels are going on right now. Um, And I'm just letting you know in advance that that's what I'm going to do. When you talk about the family, you have to define what a family is. And that means that you also must address some of the issues that are currently concerns, uh, I think, for the kingdom of God in the earth right now. And I want to do this in love. And if anybody here today hears me and does not feel that my heart is a heart of love, then I stand today to apologize in advance for anything in my spirit that might not be as humble as it would need to be. I do not apologize for the word, but I'm going to preach today. And my heart as a pastor is to reach out and embrace and love every single person here. And I want you to know that we include you. We love you. We wrap our arms around you. But now let me get into the Word of God. Verse 6 in our text, if you would put that back up there. He sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. God's promise is those who are bound will become prosperous. But it's worth noting here that God identifies prosperity and freedom as being two of the primary benefits of being in a family. The Hebrew word for bound in this verse, verse 6, literally means in chains, in chains. Having recently finished a series on addictions, I'm sure that you will remember that one of the things we stressed was accountability. Anyone who's ever dealt with addictions knows that people who struggle with addictions do not deliver themselves. They need two things to help them in their struggle. They need a support group, structure, or a family. And in some cases, that might be AA, Al-Anon, some others, Al-Anon and others, or it could be your own family. And usually that is the single most integral part of the process other than the second thing you need, which is God's help to empower you. An example of what I'm talking about, you may have seen, and I'll take just a moment to share this with you. Did you, did you see what happened with Ben Affleck? One of the most well-known actors of our time. Ben hit the big time. And all of the money and the fame and everything went to his head and... People, the adoring crowds at his seat and women, and, and he got married to Jennifer Garner, but he was a party goer. The result was he now struggles with an alcohol addiction that's blown his life apart, and he's had numerous affairs that destroyed his marriage, and it ended up in divorce. He lived a lifestyle that failed to honor God. And that last clause of verse 6 says the rebellious will dwell in a dry land. 
I promise you, if you don't honor God's principles in your life and in your family, you're going to end up in a desert. And that's where he ended up. That's where he ended up. And speaking of family, guess who it was who went to do an intervention in his home and loaded him into her suburban or SUV and took him to the rehab. It was Jennifer, the wife who had to divorce him because of his affairs. At the end of the day, you need family. Yes, you do. One other thing that I'll say about this verse, the Hebrew word, as I've mentioned in the two Sundays I've dealt with this, that is most often used in the Old Testament for family is the word circle. Therefore, the title of the series, the small series, will the circle be unbroken? However, and I haven't told you this until today, the word right there where it says God sets the solitary in families, that's not the word circle. It's a different word. The word is actually house. And the reason that a family is like a house is because like a house, a family should be a permanent place of safety, shelter, and warmth. You ought to be able to retreat into a a house, a family, and it be strong and survive and provide protection for you. I want to speak today from the subject defining love the biblical way. Because make no mistake, the institution of traditional family is presently under attack as never before. One of the things that I mentioned last Sunday is that when there is a word coming from God, there is inherent in that word the anointing to make what is being spoken about occur. I know that because when I started this series, we had a family It was on the verge of divorce, and that's now been canceled, and they're working through their issues. Last Sunday, I shared with you that one of our members was alienated from his son and hadn't spoken in several years, and in this series, they've been reunited and cried together, talked together, and prayed together. This morning in the hallway, one of our men, who I believe would be in the building right now, Stopped me in the hall to share with me, received a phone call this week from a man. His dad had had a son and another marriage before he married this man's mother. And this man had heard that he had a son. His dad had told him. Therefore, he had a a brother somewhere. This week, that brother called crying and is going to come to Houston. And they're making a connection for the first time. What is even more Wonderful is that man is a pastor and a man of God, and he does exactly what I do. Travels like this, comes back to a home church. He's actually in India right now. I will be on Wednesday. I want you to understand that the traditional family is under attack, but when God gives a word, there is a healing grace that is released. Marriages are no longer considered houses. They're no longer considered permanent. Joke. Man was really lonely, so he posted an ad on a popular dating website, and the ad simply said, Wife wanted. He was surprised when, over the next several days, he literally received hundreds of replies in his inbox. Unfortunately, to demonstrate what I'm saying about marriage not being permanent, they all said the same thing You can have mine. (laughs) Somebody else said that a marriage. Is like a three ring circus. 
the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and then the suffering. If that is your experience, I want to talk to you this morning. This is not what God designed for a marriage. Not only is the institution of marriage and family under attack, even families in the church, as I've mentioned, are in jeopardy. Let's look at some of the traditional, uh, some of the problems traditional families face that are causing so much confusion. And then briefly, I want to go through their solution, the solutions to them, and then I want to tell you why the enemy is attacking the family. Problem number one, the first problem families face today is that we do not understand what love is anymore. We don't. The word love has been redefined. Love means commitment. It's not an emotion you fall into and out of. I fell in love like you tripped over a stone on the, in the path. I fell in love. And so people use euphemisms and phrases to describe love that actually make love look very transient, very temporary. Literally everywhere you turn today, the definition of love and, and what is being considered or what is considered to be a family is actually being questioned. For example, people call sex making love. And I told you I'm going to speak plainly and um, with candor is what I mean. And, but hopefully with love, I will communicate what I need to say. But I'm going to tell you right now, having sex is not making love. You can have sex with different people and never see them again. Never care if you see them again. No attachment necessary. Problem number two, the standards for what constitutes acceptable and moral sexual behavior have been changed. Millennials in particular struggle with what I'm going to talk about because that's the age group up to the age of 37. They struggle to relate to the biblical definition of a family as a marriage that is an, a union between one man and one woman. They struggle to relate to what the Bible defines as acceptable moral behavior. They've been taught their entire lives that anything goes in this world of today. And they've been raised to believe that our sex lives are nobody else's business but our own. After all, and I've heard this question more times than you can imagine. Why should God care who I sleep with anyway? The difficulty in taking that position is readily apparent when you extrapolate from that position to the next dimension. If you can do anything and there are no boundaries in how you should act, then what are you going to do where in Europe, and this is the natural consequence of taking that position, in countries such as France and Belgium, and in some places in Germany, there is actually a movement to legalize sex between adults and small children who have not even yet turned 10 years of age. Nobody cares, right? Why should God care? My own business. Or what about, like, for example, some of the things that's going on now? I'm going to really talk plain. Okay, public pleasuring of yourself. Like the F train in New York. Did you see that in the news? They're, they're saying the F train now stands for something else other than just the letter of the alphabet. Because there are so many people pleasuring themselves on their way home from work or to work. Do I have to be more plain than that, please? Don't charge me if I'm just telling you what's out there. We have watched as society has reached the point where they feel like anything goes. Amen. 
And living together without making a covenant is something else that is readily accepted. And if you're living together with someone and, and you're not married to them and you have children, please get married. Amen. Your family need that house that I was talking about. And, but we see more and more of this. And the reason God opposes just living together is because you're not creating that house that is permanent, that needs to stand. Another thing that is common and one we're hearing a great deal about these days is being gender neutral or gender binary. And that is, um, and every single one of us knows somebody. We have loved ones, we have family, we have co-workers that are struggling with their own identity. And one day they feel this and another day that. And 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 so people are saying, what's wrong with that? I mean, after all, that's the way God made me. And I'll get back to that in a moment. And our natural human sympathy as believers, because we're connected to these people. Then we turn around and we begin to wonder, well, what about that? And the truth of the matter is that most of us do not take the time to really research what the Word of God has to say on these matters and then know how to apply that to the circumstance. Problem number three, the world would have us believe that when we the Bible disagrees with a particular lifestyle that we're actually judging others and are not being accepting and kind because we dare to believe the Bible. Well, you're judgmental. No, no I can disagree with people and still love them. I want us to remember that. I disagree with my wife all the time and still love her to death. <laughs> Maybe I should say she disagrees with me. Amen. Okay. I, I love people and there are so many areas that when you are in social interaction with people, you find out you don't see eye to eye. Uh, I don't agree with where everybody invests money. I don't agree with the merits of some particular political candidates. I don't always uh, agree with another person's color of an automobile, but it's their choice. If I choose, it's going to be black nearly all the time. Somebody else like white, red, blue. I also prefer Cajun food. And clearly you can tell by the number of restaurants in this city that, that there are some people that prefer Chinese or Italian or Mexican or something else. But you don't see people picketing those restaurants because we ought to all be eating Cajun food. you know what I mean? And that doesn't mean that, 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 you know, I don't love the people. And I like Coke Zero and KLM and Delta are my airlines of preference. That doesn't mean I'm going to war with you because you like a white car, prefer steaks instead of gumbo, and drink Pepsi products instead of Coke Zero and fly United instead of Delta. I can still love you. Amen. Problem number four. Sometimes believers don't know how to embrace the teachings of the Word of God and teach them to our children while still loving those in disobedience. We're supposed to love this book, and some people think that if you love the words of God... That you have to hate the person that's not in compliance with the word of God. That is not true. Jesus told the woman that was taken in the act of adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't make what she did any less wrong. He said it's a sin. But I'm not going to condemn you. I love you. Amen. And that's got to be the the response of the church. Now let's look at four obvious solutions for just a minute. And then delve deeper into this. Solution number one. When we encounter something in the scripture that we don't agree with or understand, we should recognize first of all that it's we who are wrong and not God. 
God is not wrong. Psalms 119.128 I esteem as right all, say it with me, all. Yes, all your precepts. I hate every false way. All of God's precepts are right. Solution two, instead of disagreeing with what the Bible says about a particular issue, what we ought to do is try to seek to understand why God takes that position. And then change our minds because God isn't going to change His. Psalms 119.89, your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in the heavens. Or to quote what Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but His word will never pass away. If you're living together outside of marriage, that's not really God's plan for you. Or if you're in an alternate lifestyle, that's not God's plan for you either. And as insofar as alternate lifestyles are concerned, I'm not going to make a distinction and say this, oh, oh, oh my God, terrible. And this, oh, that's, that's kind of okay. That's just how we are. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you that all alternate lifestyles, if you're not married and living together, all of that is not what God calls a family. And it doesn't matter that the Supreme Court said it's a family. There is a supreme, supreme court. Amen. And I'm not saying that to condemn people. I'm saying that to encourage you to make this Bible be your resource. Not the fickle machinations of of people out there and, and what they're trying to do in society. Don't do that. Amen. And... Solution number three, we must teach these things to our families. Deuteronomy eleven nineteen, you shall teach them to your children. Speaking of them, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, God puts very squarely on the shoulders of parents the responsibility to teach their children the ways of God. We were in our new building yesterday, and one of the areas that we filmed in was one of the children's chapels. And it just overwhelmed me that right in that building, we're going to teach the next generation how to know God. And they're going to be able to encounter God. Amen. And they hunger for God. Let me tell you about the millennial generation. Let me tell you about them. They, they're looking for what's real, baby. They want to know God. They do. They just don't, they, they don't want all of the fluff that people have said was so necessary. Solution four, as believers, we must influence society for good and for God. And somewhere along the way, the church has become silent because it doesn't want to face criticism. And part of that is based on this whole ideology that if you're for the Bible, then you've got to be against people. No, you can be for people and for God too. And so I think we, we, we should not lose our voice. Look at the world. One reason it's in the mess it's in is the church has been silent for too long. Jesus said, Matthew five thirteen, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. That's what Jesus said. And it was written in a time when There was no refrigeration, and you preserve things by either drying them or salting them. And you don't preserve society when the church is silent. And the church has been too quiet for too long. Amen. We have to deal with things. We really do. Because the problems are not going away that we're facing. I wish I could hear somebody say, that's right. 
Do you know for the first time in history due to a rocketing divorce rate and what are basically disposable marriage and marriages and almost drive-through divorces that there are now more adults who are not married than who are married? First time in history. How do you answer someone who says marriage is old-fashioned anyway and I have needs? So are we just going so we're going to just live together and see if we're compatible. Marriage is old-fashioned. That's outdated. How do you deal with that? Amen. Using the same rationale, one of the common reasons we hear for accepting same-sex marriages is that people say they were born that way. How do you answer that? Somebody said, I have needs. This is the way I was born. We're going to just live together. We don't believe in marriage anymore. You know, we've seen too many bad things. And you know they're right when they say they've seen a lot of junk. 50% of first marriages end in divorce. 67% of second marriages. 74% of third marriages end in divorce. Yeah, they've seen a lot of stuff. And one reason is they've tried to build a house that wasn't permanent, that wasn't built on the Word of God. You leave God out of the component. Amen. There are very few people in this church that have been married as long as Jerry and I have, and yet I'm much younger than some of you are. Well, okay, I hope I look younger than some. Okay, let's get that straight. You say, how do you answer people when they say, we just want to live together and we have needs? Or how do you answer somebody that says, you know, I'm turned on to people of my same gender. And, um, you know, it's just the way God made me. Let me just tell you the way that you answer that. The flesh is lustful. Your flesh, my flesh, everybody's flesh. In this flesh dwells no good thing. I wish I could hear somebody say amen. It has sinful desires. This flesh can desire to get hooked up with somebody that I'm not married to. That's right. Because there are certain hormones and the whole thing that that are part of being a man. Testosterone and all of this kind of stuff. And and so, you know, but I'm married to somebody. And you know what I got to do? Whenever there is this flesh that wants to rise up, I got to say, you get back in your place. I'm not going to let you mess up my life, destroy my family. The same thing applies to people who struggle with their own gender identity. You can't just be indiscriminate in your relationships. Just like I've got to say no to my flesh and so does everybody else. You've got to say no to your desires whenever they are not Christ-like, when they're not backed by the Bible. Hello, somebody. Some people may feel an attraction because of the way they were raised or circumstances even in their life. And, and, and they may feel an attraction to someone of the same gender. But what I'm trying to tell you is it's just as wrong for me to be attracted to someone that I'm not married to. And act upon that attraction as it is for me if I'm drawn to somebody of my same gender to act upon that. They're both wrong. Amen. Just saying you're born that way is not an excuse. Amen. I might say I was just born this way. It's in my nature to kill people, so that makes it okay. Or I might want to steal when I'm behind on my rent and in need. I was just born this way. Is that okay? Especially if it's you I'm stealing from. Or it might be, it's just the way I am. That's my Irish coming out. I want to give somebody a piece of my mind that cut me off on the freeway, right? 
How many of us have ever done that moment of truth right now? And I hope your Holy Spirit did the same thing my Holy Spirit did. That was really nice. Go ahead and show me how much of a Christian you are again. Yeah, I'm impressed. Yeah. We don't give in to that stuff. And when we do, what we're supposed to do is get it under control. Because it's always trying to get out of that box and get us to do stuff we shouldn't do. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in an epistle from a jail in Rome where at the time he was imprisoned, Rome had gone through a cultural disintegration that was shocking. It was imploding. It's the cultural surroundings around this verse and where it was written in, the times in which Paul writes this that makes this so significant. Significant. The Romans had given themselves over to indulge in every single fantasy they, they could dream of. Anything and everything was okay. Noblemen and rulers were very open about their sexual preferences. It was not at all unusual to have sexual relationships among Roman people with people of both genders while you were still married. The leaders of Rome did the same thing. The politicians, the Senate, they set the example for the nation that followed. Some of the Caesars openly slept with men and with women. And people were very commonly into pedophilia. Men kept little boys as their sexual playthings. That was common. And the Romans persecuted Christians because they spoke out against stuff like this. They would take Christians, douse them with pitch, impale them on stakes, set them on fire, and use them as burning torches in their gardens. They would feed them to starve lions and tigers and bears in the Colosseum as entertainment. And they would force them to fight against trained gladiators as sport. It is in this very city of Rome and from a jail cell and which is in prison that Paul writes what I'm about to read to you right now. And this makes what he says all that more impacting. Because I cannot help but ask if we were to measure the average pastor of today with what I'm about to read, how would we do? Romans 1 is the number of verses, so please be patient. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky, everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his external power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Listen to what Paul is saying here. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-loving God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And that is why God abandoned them to their sinful, desi- shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. 
And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God. He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that never should be done. And their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. And they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. And in this, these verses, you actually find a progression that is a recipe for the destruction of a society. The, the, progression, is the, the progression is this. You go from idolatry, rather that idolatry is money, sex, fame, fortune, properties, cars, houses, what? doesn't matter. You go from idolatry... The next step is indulging your fleshly desires. Because when God is not on your throne, you don't have the power to hold this back. Amen. And they went from indulgence of fleshly desires to enslavement to those fleshly desires. And finally from enslavement to complete societal disintegration. This is what we're on the cusp of right now in America. This is what we're watching. Choosing to try and pretend there is no God while we indulge all of our selfish fantasies without concern for what God thinks of the harm we do to those we love becomes a slippery, oily, sliding board that once you get on, you don't know how far down into the depths of degradation you may end up going. And it is important to note that Paul did not change his message. Because of the society he was in. I've been shocked at some of the comments I've seen pastors make. Some of their interviews. Some of the popular churches in this nation. And ours is, I'm not saying ours is unpopular. I thank God for everyone that loves this church and calls it home. But I'm, I'm talking about if you're looking for a church where people will tell you it's okay to do anything you want to do. Then... You, you, you can find them because I, I, can, I can point you to the interviews there on YouTube where you can listen to yourself, for yourself, to some of the comments they've made regarding behavior and patterns of behavior like I just saw and read to you from the Word of God that Paul described. But the problem is, is that while well, you have some that have gone so far over to say, oh, it's all right, that God doesn't mean that. And you got this group over here. And that group went in that ditch on that side of the road. And this group over here is going in the ditch on this side of the road. Because they're, bless God, you're all going to hell. And mean and proud of it. And that's not what God calls us to be like. I know that for you, to, you're supposed to love the word of God. And I know that when you do, of course, it will grieve you when someone in your family is not honoring God and the principles, but you can't hate the person. you got to love everybody. I close 
by addressing this. Why, you might ask, is the family under such an unrelenting attack today? Why does the enemy try so hard to sow confusion and chaos where marriage and family are concerned? And I believe it's because of the assignment that God gave the family early in the book of Genesis. They're called the Genesis Mandates. I won't take the time to read them because I don't have the time. But you will read them in Genesis 1 verse 27 through 30. And this is what God said. Four mandates that God gave to Adam. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue the earth and have dominion over all things. To be fruitful... The Hebrew word is to be prosperous. It doesn't mean to have kids. It means to be prosperous. To multiply meant to create others who, like you, carried the image of the glory of God. didn't just mean to have kids. It meant to have others who carried that image of God. To fill the earth didn't just mean to have a population explosion. What it actually meant was fill the earth with A group, a progeny that carried this image of God's glory. And then that, number four, leads you to the fourth mandate. And that is subdue the earth and have dominion over everything. And and this is literally an important and vital point that we must not overlook. God said have dominion over everything. And he even went on to tell them what they should have dominion over. He said, see, I've given you Every herb with yield seed, the verse before it, dominion over fish and birds of the air and living things and and, uh, every tree, every fruit uh, yield seeds, it shall be for food, have dominion over the beast and and on and on and on it goes. And uh, this is why you're not supposed to allow things to have dominion over you because it is a reversal of the natural created order. God made you to have dominion over things, not them to have dominion over you. Somebody in the building say amen. He made us to have dominion over the plants. Why all these folk going around then that are addicted to things that come from plants? Just a little weed. Uh, You're supposed to have dominion over that. You're supposed to have dominion over that white powder that comes from a cocoa leaf too. Can I really get plain right now? You're not supposed to let something have dominion over you. You're supposed to have dominion over it. The natural order has been reversed. And back to this whole thing about our fleshly desires. Everybody is going to deal with lust in one form or another. That's just a natural fact. I mean, you have certain hormones in your body. God made you to have a relationship with somebody. And I'm going to get to that in a moment as I close. But rather, it's, it's for someone of, of a different gender, which is the natural way. Or maybe something happened and, and you feel something in you toward someone of the same gender. What you got to do is you got to have dominion over that. All of it. If you're not married. Let me explain. And forgive me. I know I'm really talking plain. When I was a little guy, my grandmother had dogs. (laughs) We lived on a farm. You don't live on a farm without dogs. Foxes come, get chickens, that whole thing, you know. And we had a little chihuahua she kept in the house. And chihuahuas, they're very high-strung and and very uh, uh, high-tempered. And it would bark. (laughs) 
you know what I'm talking about if you've ever had one. And when you came and opened the door and it hurt it, it would come run. And she had hardwood floors and it would slide around the corner and go into a skid and then get traction again. I never, I've laughed so much at that little dog. But she had some big dogs too. And they didn't come in the house. They stayed in the yard. And you showed up. She had a wolf pack. <laughs> and reminds me of the brother down in Jamaica I preached for one time. And we were going to visit someone, another preacher's home. And, and two little old dogs came out. He jumped back in his car and locked the door and said, too much dog, man. Too much dog. Well, if that was too much dog, you didn't want to go to my grandmother's house. She had too much dog. And that little chihuahua came into its season, and I don't mean to be overly plain. And it got out in the yard, and I mean, whoom, here come those big dogs. They didn't ask her to dinner. They didn't say, would you like to go see a movie? Can we have drinks? By the way, my name is so-and-so. They just, whoom. I had to grab that little thing up like that. They would have killed that dog. God said, I didn't make you to be like that. I made you to have dominion over your desires. You're not a part of the animal kingdom. I'm done. Some years ago, somebody came out with a song, and I used to hear it when I'd work out in the gym. And this is the attitude of the world. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, or ant, you know, mammals. So let's do it like they do it on the Discovery Channel. You're not supposed to give in to those things. God wants you to have a house, a family, be committed, be connected, a place of shelter, a place of refuge. You don't jeopardize what's in the house. To accomplish these four mandates, God saw that he, Adam needed to help meet. In other words, listen to this, the task was too great. And Adam could not finish it by himself. Now here's the thing about God. We think, we ascribe to God anthropological concepts. What that means is we think of God in human terms. And so we say that God said there was no help, that God, it was not good for Adam to be alone and he needed to help me. What we're thinking is, okay, we're watching Adam in the garden. He's working, he's lonely. And then we ascribe to God what we would feel and think under those circumstances. You would say, gee, poor Adam. He needs a helpmate. Let's fix that. I want you to know that before God created Adam, he already knew he could not do what he needed to do by himself. God wasn't surprised. But God had to let man discover his need so he would appreciate the woman once God did bring her to him. And let me tell you, 
You want to know what loneliness is? You let a good woman get away from you or a good man get away from you. And you discover how much they meant. God knew that Adam would need Eve, so he put Adam to sleep and took from his side a bloody rib. Did you know that there are, that there, there are only five places in the body? Well, now let me not even go there. I don't, I don't have time to. Amen. Amen. You know there's only one place in your body that regenerates, and it's your rib. Your rib will grow back. Ask any doctor. If it is properly removed surgically, it can grow back. God told them, you multiply. Unfortunately, because Adam had then sinned, he forfeited his right to the four Genesis mandates. And Satan did this deliberately. First, he could no longer be fruitful. That meant he couldn't be prosperous anymore. Not that he couldn't have kids. Couldn't be prosperous. Because now the ground was bringing forth thorns and thistles. Number two, nor could Adam multiply. You say, well, pastor, look around. Looks like he did. No, 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 no. I didn't say he couldn't have kids. He could have kids. He couldn't multiply the image of God that he had once carried. This is why when God came asking, Adam, where are you? Don't you ever make the mistake of believing Adam was so good at hide and seek that God couldn't find him. Adam, I've looked in the closet. I looked under the table and under the bed. I've looked in the bathroom and upstairs. Man, you got me beat. Adam, where are you? That's not what was going on. God could see his nose sticking out behind the tree. God could see him through the tree. God knew he was going to be there before there was a tree there. I'm talking about a God that is omniscient and knows all things. What he was asking was, Adam, where are you? Where is the Adam that wants to look like me? Because I see you, but I'm looking for the one that looks like me. Adam could not multiply that image. Number three, neither could Adam now accomplish the third mandate because he could not multiply others who carried the image of God. Subsequently, he was unable to fill the earth with those who bear God's image. And because of that, neither was he able to fulfill the fourth mandate, which is to take dominion. The reason that Satan set out to destroy the family, he did not want us to take from him his dominion over this earth. He's the God of this present world. And you need to know that there's an enemy who fights you. Why did Adam even have authority? And I'm done. In the first place, did he listen to Kenneth Copeland's tapes or on spiritual authority? No. No, he had authority because when he stepped out in the garden, everything said, look, it looks like God. But he lost that. And because he lost the four mandates, we see in this, and I close with this, that God purpose to send a second Adam. The four mandates of Genesis remain to be filled. They remain for us to make them come 
and to be. God put Adam to sleep in the garden, took from his side a rib that regenerated. He grew woman. And on the cross, he put the second Adam to sleep. And from his side, there came blood and water and a church was birthed into the earth. It is God's design prophetically that you and I have dominion. And to be silent is not going to achieve it. And to have the wrong attitude will not achieve it either. And this is why Satan attacks the family. So now full circle back to this house thing, okay? What is love? Is it an emotion? Product of hormones? Phenomenons? No. First John 4, 16, the second clause of that verse says, God is... Say it with me. God. What is love? God. Love is actually an expression of God's divine nature. And anything not based on this book does not express who he is. Life application points embrace God's word as the ultimate authority on all matters of life. That's what we need to do. Number two, adjust our lifestyles to reflect the teachings of God's word about love and family. Number three, learn enough that we can defend our beliefs with others in love in these modern times when they are being attacked. Make no mistake about it. And number four, don't be afraid to take a stand in love and become a voice for God in today's society. You are the salt of the earth. Adam Take dominion. Adam, take dominion. Adam, take dominion. And if Satan can get us involved in anything, anything, anything that is contrary to the Word of God, then he keeps us from bearing that God image that gives us authority. Would you stand with me? I'd like to pray with you. Would you come close? You're not going to go to the car right now anyway. It's raining. Okay. Somebody said, I can't get out in that rain. Sugar melts. Somebody else said, salt does too, and it gets lumpy. Mm. Come in close. Father, I pray for our families. Oh, God. Oh, God. I pray for our families. Heal relationships. Heal relationships. Teach us to love each other, Lord. To be committed to each other. Teach us to build houses instead of tents or lean-tos. Shelters that will weather the test and adversities we will face in time. Teach us, Lord. I'm asking you to heal broken relationships that might exist in this home right now. Heal them, Lord. I'm praying for those of us who are just human and the flesh wants to pull us in the wrong direction and help us to know how to say an emphatic and firm no 
we will not give in because there's too much at stake, too much that matters, and the cost will be too great, and we're not willing to risk losing what is so important and precious. Help us to build our houses around you, Lord, our homes on the foundations of the Word of God. And now, Lord, I pray if there's somebody in this building that is not honoring you with their life, let them make a decision to do so right now. There's something happening in our lives that shouldn't be happening. Help us to put a stop to that. I ask in your name.